You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today we return to the monthly series, City Farming, in which we discuss new ways to think about food in urban settings. This show will talk about microgreens and the ways a local business manages its environmental footprint while growing food in the city. It's my sincere pleasure to introduce to you Reese Devera, founder of Green City Aquaponics. Welcome, Reese. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Reese, when and what made you decide to start a business? So for me, I've always been fascinated by the natural environment and how everything are tied together. And for this one, I have a mother to thank and she's the one who introduced me to this passion. I wanted to grow food that has fewer adverse impacts to the environment. So for instance, growing in the city can minimize the food distance traveled. Lower food distance generally means higher nutritional profile. Lower food distance is also a way to minimize the greenhouse gas footprint of our food. And then another thing is water conservation. So for me, I've always enjoyed fishing since I was 16. And I know that part of me always wants to protect the waterways. Farming methods like aquaponics, hydroponics, and microgreens farming, they use less water compared to conventional methods. And since these are closed-loop systems, they don't have any runoff either, which is an absolutely fantastic thing. Then when we also grow inside the city, we can use the water wastewater infrastructure. So then any wastewater discharges from our operations can go through the wastewater treatment plant instead of directly discharging to the receiving water. That's amazing. So um, mom to thank way back when you were 16 years old. What a great start of a very long and wonderful story, I'm sure, with Green City Aquaponics. Fantastic. And Reese, you work in, in the engineering industry. Can you tell us about your journey to becoming a local sustainable agri-food business based on growing food in the city and your engineering background? Right. So with my engineering background, I actually studied um, biochemical and environmental engineering at Western University. Because of my passion and sustainability with the natural environment, that's essentially the path I had. So for me, a combination of all those different things, uh, initially I started a company with aquaponics in mind. And then with my engineering mindset, I started off by designing and building my own prototype. So this prototype had about 500 liters of water and a square meter of uh, vegetable growing on it. Then I eventually grew that to designing and building my own pilot system with 5,000 liters of water, so 10, 10 times more water. But I also designed it so that it can grow 20 times more food. So my pilot system was outdoors. So during the summer and winter extremes, uh, those seasons definitely got the best of me. Of course, then I had to quickly pivot. And this is when I chose microgreens as the alternative since it's still checking off all the boxes that is really important for my company with Green City Aquaponics. So this can be done in an urban setting. It is water efficient. It has high nutritional profile. It uses less space. It can still be done vertically. So it's still checking off all the important boxes of why I started the company. When I pivoted from aquaponics to microgreens, I started off by growing at home in the basement and eventually growing that now having a 250 square foot space at the Grove with the Western Fair District. And my future goals include expanding the business to creating jobs and feeding more people with delicious microgreens. Wonderful. So a lot of observation, curiosity, hard work, 
And now, as you had said, expanding into the Grove at the Western Fair and uh, creating jobs while doing good in terms of what your business produces and also offering a really neat example to other municipalities and cities and people who are interested in um, starting something and a success story to be shown that it can be done if you have a good idea. So can you tell us about Green City Aquaponics? So Green City Aquaponics and my operations overall, it's quite simple. I'm a huge fan of simplicity. I think if we can make things as simple as possible, then we can do a lot of great things. I grow the microgreens in a nursery tray that are about 10 inches by 20 inches. And then the only inputs for the operations are soil, seeds, and water. We only use organic seeds and sustainably certified soil. Then the microgreens are grown anywhere from two to four weeks, so very high turnover rate. And then in terms of our clientele, it, they're actually a combination of retail, restaurants, and home consumers. We also deliver our microgreens for free because we want to make food affordable and accessible. And for more information about what we do as a company, what we offer, uh, people can find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok at Green City Aquaponics. And we have more information on our website as well at www.greencityaquaponics.ca. Okay, that's really good to know. We can find out lots about the company, its products, and its process. It sounds like keeping it simple, you say it so easily, but I bet it was a long road to make it so uh, such a fine-tuned approach that it can be stated simply and managed simply. So why are microgreens a sustainable food source? So one of the things that I really love about microgreens, the fact that it is grown indoors really for the most part, so then it can be grown virtually anywhere. Anyone can grow this at their own home. I think that the versatility of this being grown at home is a great option for anyone, especially for anyone who wants to grow their own food. And more importantly, if you have limited time or space. You know, working at the Western Fair, I also work with uh, the Wormery, which is owned by the Grove at the Western Fair District. So they take our soil that they compost it. I also use some of their compost. So there is a regenerative aspect in circular economy with my collaboration with Wormery, of course, that is created by design. So like those are some of the aspects that I believe that makes microgreens production a sustainable way of growing food and feeding ourselves. Well, it sounds like you've thought of everything, right, from what you need to get the product to market, but also after you've used some of the inputs or things along the way, there's a home for it and a new life, as you had said, the wormery for the um, soil. So really, really, really sustainable product. So that is really very interesting and sustainable because you've thought about it. It's um, seasonless in a way because it's indoors. And it's, as you had mentioned, regenerative and uh, the circular economy, all the factors have been thought of. What other ways does Green City Aquaponics manage its environmental footprint? So we definitely have many opportunities to improve our environmental footprint. One thing that I am trying to achieve at the moment through my marketing and sales strategy, it's really maximizing the clients that I have in different areas where we deliver. You know, like we have quite broad range of different service areas. Really part of like what I said is to maximize the amount of clients. So then whenever we go to those service areas, we are minimizing the amount of, again, the gasoline combustion or greenhouse gas footprint of our operations. You know, I think that's one of the more obvious ones. And I'm also always continuously seeking ways to improve how we can conduct our cleaning procedures. So then we can reduce the water consumption while making the process still just as effective as before. 
So looking at experimentation, looking at ways to really minimize our footprint through other folks, like through third parties, you know, like those are the different ways that I have thought about in terms of improving our overall environmental footprint. Wow, I'm really impressed that the level, not only of creativity and commitment, but looking at almost every single point, not only in production, but in terms of your service model in strategically coordinating when trucks are going out or when deliveries are happening and trying to maximize and minimize depending on what the highest and best outcome is. That's really fantastic, Reese. And you've talked a lot, uh, it seems from the heart, this is certainly a business, but there's a lot of values deeply rooted in what it is you're trying to do. So I'd like to ask you, what are the values or the pillars that guide your work? And I think I've alluded to this a little bit, but maybe we can take a step back and talk about the original definition of sustainability. Many of us really know sustainability as the balance between people, planet, and profit. And I believe that is really critical for the success of any business and also to provide to the planet and to the people that, that we serve. For me, impacting people and the planet are really the key drivers. I believe that it is our responsibility really in the end of the day to protect the planet and to provide to the future generations the best that we can today in every way possible, whether that's small, medium, or large scale endeavors. And when we provide to the community, um, then we can make a more resilient and sustainable future for everyone. And making a sustainable future, resilient systems in place, that is really, I believe that in our core, our responsibility today into the future and so on and so on. So really, really deeply rooted in a number of factors, value, a real duty to others, consequences, meaning our actions can improve the future, or uh, we hear about corporate social responsibility, governance, all of those things. So you've definitely thought of all of those things. And I think it shows in the way you describe the business. And I'm sure it, you can actually taste those values in the product because, you know, you hear the old adage, things that are made with love taste better. And you definitely seem to have a strong affinity, not just for this, but the people, the planet. And uh, hopefully you're doing well as a new startup. So congratulations, Reese, on the many successes with Green City Aquaponics. After the break, we'll talk about growing food in the city with Reese DeVera from Green City Aquaponics. We'll find out more about environmental footprints and sustainable methods to growing food in the city. This is Food for the Future. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist. Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. Welcome back to Food for the Future. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist. We've been speaking about microgreens and managing an environmental footprint while growing food in the city with Reese DeVera, founder of Green City Aquaponics. Reese, generally, what pressures do urban agri-food businesses face in managing their environmental footprint? I think in general, we really are small businesses. So one thing for us really, it's easier for us to make large changes quickly, being able to pivot quickly is a benefit to a small business, but also that comes at a cost. So we need to balance out these decisions through a cost-benefit analysis. So for instance, we can take a look at an example of a packaging, even as simple as packaging. I hear plenty of times a feedback that I get is that my packaging is misaligned with my sustainability messaging. You know what? I agree with that. There definitely is an improvement opportunity with this because I currently use plastic packaging. But we can also take a look at the alternatives to plastic packaging. First, we can talk about brown paper bags. Unfortunately, these will actually shorten the lifespan of 
the vegetables in them because they stay moist, collect you know, moisture, and then eventually rot out whatever is in them, which is really unfortunate. Next is the, the most compostable plastic alternatives require industrial composting. Yes, these are a step in the right direction. However, the unfortunate thing is that I need to buy a large volume of these. Now, when you're a small business, the pressure really comes in play when you don't have anywhere to store these things. Then that becomes a problem, increases your overhead, et cetera, when you're looking for storage space. And then another example for um, packaging are reusable containers. Now, for these ones, these are a little bit more viable. However, they need to go to a third party for cleaning and sanitizing, which then increases the overhead, which can then prevent or really lengthen the amount of time for any small business to continue growing to the scale where they want to go, right? So that's another concern. Now, let's look at my current packaging. Um, it's affordable. It is very lightweight compared to, like, let's say, a glass. Um, it's stackable, so it actually saves space in your fridge. It's nearly leak-proof. I've actually tested this with water. You know, it's incredible. It's recyclable. It's made with recyclable plastic as well. It is readily available. And really, in the end of the day, it's the most cost-effective packaging for me. For, for, for me, anyway, this is one of the things that is I'm always looking to continue to improve because not only is it important for me to consider about the current state of what I'm currently using, but also looking at the life cycle of where this packaging will eventually go to. That's why I opted for a plastic recyclable with made with recyclable or recycled material. Excellent point. Uh, and I think packaging was a great place to enter the conversation because it's very relatable. Most listeners are trying to also reduce uh, the impact of packaging and their use of packaging. Reese, we add the humanities in this show to today's food dialogue. So we bring in philosophy, history, and creativity. And I'm wondering how do agri-food businesses who grow food in the cities relate to these approaches? I will answer this semi-indirectly. The reason I say that because I believe that this is really dependent on the founder or founders of the company. My drivers, my values, they are mine and other business owners will have their own. And so I, I just want to preface what I'm about to say with that. For me, one of the things that I really look at is our basic needs because I believe that meeting our basic needs is really critical for our overall mental health. When we have a better mental health, then we are able to actually be better in everything that we do. So we can talk about simply by looking at the basic needs that are defined under the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So some of the very basic physiological needs, we can talk about food or water or shelter. For me, where I want to touch upon that is the food aspect. And for me, the way I want to do that is by making my food accessible. And part of what I do is, since I started the company, actually, is a quarterly donation to the food bank. So I would allocate a certain amount, right, based on, like, whatever space that I have available. I will grow whatever access that I can and then donate that to the food bank. So then their clientele can actually have some fresh vegetables that are, you know, very nutrient-dense, literally just grown yesterday, and then they would have it, you know, the following day, which I think is an incredible thing. Then the other thing for me too, I believe that having a balanced diet is also important. That's why I allocate a certain amount of my, my revenue, a certain percentage towards buying non-perishable goods, again, donated to the food bank. 
the reason why I want to work with a food bank is because they currently have the infrastructure to really touch as many people as possible. Why should I recreate the wheel when they already have created a significant, when, they, when they've already created a machine that can serve our community? And that's why I want to work with a food bank. And this is how I believe I can meet one of our basic needs of ensuring that we have adequate nutrition and food. I think that's such an incredible concept of a way of life, not just a business model talking about a portion of the non-perishable goods, but this notion that um, fresh fruits and vegetables should be accessible to all and that you have a role in that and you actually take action on it. It's not a value, it's something that you actually do. And so deeply rooted in the humanities and significant way that Green City Aquaponics and that you do do that. This show's called Food for the Future, Reese. And so how do microgreens and aquaponics help us all find the way forward together? So for both microgreens and aquaponics, these are generally done, I would say, through an urban farming space or within a controlled environment agriculture. So now when we talk about aquaponics, this can also provide protein, depending, of course, the fish that you're growing in the system. And then when we are growing indoors or in controlled environments, uh, this can offset some of our import demand when we're looking at some of the demand, food demand that we have, especially in the winter time. When we are growing indoors, we can grow food year round. And more importantly as well, if we can offset a little bit of that, then we can actually minimize some of the, you know, import requirements, maybe perhaps also help with the GDP as a, you know, as a result of that, if we have enough players within the industry. And really, that is my dream. Think of an aquaponics farm or a microgreens farm in every major city. Then each city has their own demands and wants as well, right? Then we can actually cater what we grow based on the demand of that city instead of relying on one major producer that then transports it from one faraway place to the next faraway place. But instead, grow exactly what is needed, what is wanted within that city. And then each installation can be a farm, but also a distribution center of its own as well. So that is my dream anyway with Green City Aquaponics and the over, where I think anyway, this industry should go in the future to really meet our future food demands. That's fascinating. I never even thought of that, but the idea of using aquaponics is, uh, again, the, the ecosystem that you've created at Green City um, Aquaponics, that reconceptualizing that to also think about protein production uh, close to home and closer to the consumer. Fascinating, fascinating ideas, Reese. And I would like to ask you one more question, which is, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? For me, my final thought would be is that I know that many of us really want to make a difference. And to change how we do things or what we do to help our planet for the future generations. We want to change. We want to make a change. And I think this can become a little bit of a grandiose idea, depending on how big you want the change to be. But however, I believe that perfection or taking big steps can actually cause decision paralysis or even the fear of starting anything. I always believe that a small step, 1% improvement today, each day is way better than zero improvement at all, right? You know, a significant, there can be a significant and outweighable change if everyone made a 1% change, then a significant change from a few because then it becomes less sustainable. Um, just remember that, you know, also sometimes that the smallest changes can have the biggest of all impact as well. That's really significant because we can feel overwhelmed when we look at the job to be done and feel a little bit, well, what can I do? But I agree with your message and it's why we do this show that we all can do something 
and that when we do do that, that does change the dial. And um, some of the social or environmental inertia, whichever way you want to look at it, actually will start to move when we think of physics. Um, you know, uh, an object at rest will remain at rest unless a force greater than it moves it. And so we can be part of that force greater than some of the challenges we're facing and move it. So that's a wonderful, wonderful final message, Reese. And thank you very much for our conversation today. Congratulations for your successes and the innovations and the, the many more yet to come with Green City Aquaponics. Thank you. It's been really wonderful having you here on the show. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Reese Devera, founder of Green City Aquaponics. Each week we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about, how could you support local agri-food businesses who grow food in our city? Something to do, visit greencityaquaponics.ca to find out how local microgreens are grown and much more. Next week on the show, we return to the series Back to the Future. We'll talk with Patrick Verkley, first vice president of the Middlesex Federation of Agriculture, about Agriculture Week. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, Home Economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.